1: Welcome to the Web3 Business Podcast, helping you
0: navigate the future of business. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelsner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Web3 Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web3. Today, I'll be joined by Amber Vittoria, and we're going to explore nft creation for creators if you are an artist musician illustrator photographer dot 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 and you're thinking about launching an nft project i've got a really successful artist on here who's going to break down everything that you need to know by the way i'm at stelzner on instagram and at mike underscore stelzner on twitter and even if you're not an artist you're going to learn a lot. So I would definitely encourage you to continue listening to this episode. If you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash getupdates. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Amber Vittoria. Helping
1: you to simplify your Web3 journey, here is this week's expert guide.
0: Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Amber Vittoria. If you don't know who Amber is, she's a visual artist and poet. She's launched nine NFT collections. She's the former art director at VaynerMedia, and she's the author of These Are My Big Girl Pants, a poetry book. Amber, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
1: Good. Thanks so much for having me.
0: I'm super excited. Amber and I are going to explore what creators need to know when starting an NFT project. Now, before we get into that, I would love to hear your story. Like, start wherever you want to start. How the heck did you get into NFTs?
1: Yeah, so predating NFTs, I was very fortunate that as a child, I loved making art. It's just how I knew how to communicate best. And my parents picked up on that and encouraged me to pursue art, you know, into my teenage years. And then when I was old enough to kind of realize that you could do that as a job, I went to school for fine art and graphic design and then became a designer.
0: What kind of, if you don't mind me asking, what kind of art were you doing back in the day? What was your style? Was it painting? Was it graphics, illustration? What kind of art was it? I'm just curious.
1: Yeah. So when I was younger, it was just essentially coloring, you know, color-based work, which is telling now, given the work that I've, I make as an adult. And as I grew older, it was a bit of photography, a bit of digital manipulation of photography, and then learning how to draw digitally with, you know, the Adobe suite. And then in college, it was a combination of graphic design. So printmaking and designing things for print and books, and then also painting.
0: So keep telling us the story. So you got this degree in fine arts, and where did you go with that? Yeah,
1: so I went to Boston University's College of Fine Arts, and when I graduated, I moved back home. I was very fortunate that my parents let me do that. I grew up an hour and a half north of New York City, so that put me in a pretty decent commuting range to the city. And my first job after college, I was a web designer at Victoria's Secret. Wow. Yeah, and then I was an art director at media, like you mentioned, and then I was a designer at Avon. And throughout that six, seven-year period, I would freelance. I tried to find work through, back then it was through magazines and Craigslist, and then now it's more through social media, just different brands and companies that wanted to hire an artist for either editorial or to create artwork to live on a particular product. And then I got to a point in my career where it was kind of tough to balance both. And a little over five years ago, I went freelance full-time.
0: Okay, so as you went freelance full time, how did NFTs like work their way into this entire equation?
1: I was probably right when I actually started freelancing, um, I invested a little bit into Bitcoin and Ethereum and I was like, I really love this technology. This will be life changing in the future. I never really thought that it would be life changing in the immediate future. I thought like, you know, at least a decade or two from now for that technology to kind of seep its way into everyday life. So I, you know, bought some ETH and bought probably a fraction of a Bitcoin and forgot about it. And then early 2021, I started to learn about NFTs through my husband, a few of his friends bought CryptoPunks and he's like, look at these. They're so cool. Did he hold on them? Did he keep them? So we, his friends did, and we ended up buying one together. But before we got to purchase it, he explained what NFTs were. I was like, oh my goodness, this is similar to CryptoKitties, which I learned about years ago. I was like, this is really interesting. That's when I learned that artists were selling their work on the blockchain. And then he told me how much punks were. And at the time, it's nothing compared to now. And I was like, excuse me? I was like, for an image? And he's like, yep. And I was like, well, I like the image. So either this could be really smart or really stupid. It was at the point in the pandemic where like, Vaccines weren't really out yet. Everyone was kind of home in New York City. And so we're like, well, we're not going anywhere doing anything. So this brings us joy. (laughs) And, uh, but after that, I started to study how other artists were, you know, presenting themselves and sharing their work on the blockchain and started to sell my work myself.
0: So, okay. So around 2020 is when you started? By uh, 2021. 2021. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your very first project and well actually, yeah. Tell us about like, did you start investing in art NFTs and then tell us a little bit more about your very first project and kind of bring us through that journey as well.
1: Yeah. So I first started minting a few pieces on Maker's Place in February and March of 2021. And those pieces sold, which is really exciting. But at that time, minting was really expensive to like mint one artwork as an NFT. It was like 500 bucks. You know, being a freelancer during the pandemic, sustaining that and hoping people would then buy it afterwards was um, a little bit tricky.
0: Can you explain what you mean by minting? Because does that mean you as the artist had to pay to just put it out there? Or did you mean someone had to pay 500 bucks just in gas fees? to get your art.
1: So I had to pay to put it on the blockchain as an NFT. Uh, and then there was a transaction fee, which is also the fee that someone would have to pay to purchase it at the time, which was also expensive. So it's something that I was like, this is really awesome, but like financially, like I can't, I don't think I could take that big of a risk to mint something. And then if it sits, you know, I'm out $500. So. I started to really watch how other artists were doing it because I was like, I can't be the only one that thinks this. That's when I stumbled on OpenSea and how they had what they would call lazy minting, where essentially you would put the artwork up there. You could set a price, but it wouldn't mint until somebody bought it. Uh-huh. Um, and usually the person that purchased it would be the one paying those fees. And between that time, March and August, it became a little more affordable to mint artwork as NFTs and since has become much more affordable, which is really great to see. So that's really when I started to sell and take NFTs as more of a priority within my freelance practice uh, in August of 2021. The first collection I came out with was my inaugural collection. It was 25 unique digital pieces that were abstract figurative, and they sold really well, which I was surprised by just because it was something so new and it had such a big of a learning curve. How
0: much were you selling them for, if you don't mind me asking?
1: So it was in increments. So I did the first two, I want to say, were like 0.25. And then I released a few more at half and then one ETH.
0: And what was ETH going for back then? Pretty expensive?
1: I think it was like 2000 to $2,500. i would have to double check.
0: So you were earning like at least 500 to many thousands of dollars, depending on the price point back then. And how was that compared to the kind of work that you've done in the past? Like, How did that change your mindset and perspective as a creator?
1: It was really liberating because majority of my income and work that I did wasn't from selling my work as fine art. It was selling my work. In collaboration with brands. So brand would commission me, I would do a piece, they would either put it on a product or an advertising or whatever. And then depending on the agreement, it'd either be a full buyout of the IP, which is very rare, because that's more expensive, or a licensing agreement. And so it was always a goal of mine. It's again, five, 10 year goal to slowly incorporate selling my work as fine art into my practice. And NFTs allowed me to do it in a way where I could verify that it was work that I made And I could connect with people that didn't even live within the United States that were interested in my work. So it was really
0: cool. And kind of bring us up to the present. I mean, you've done a lot of collections now. Now, where are things at and where are you at with your art and with NFTs?
1: So flash forward two years. If you'd have told me two years ago what my life would have been, (laughs) I wouldn't have believed you. I'd be like, what is an NFT. Um, it's been really amazing to release different collections that speak to different themes. And then as te- the technology has evolved, it's been really fun to storytell with how that work is minted as well. So doing collections of editions of my work or doing collections that are very story-driven um, that have a bunch of unique pieces to it, it's been really amazing and exciting to be able to really experiment with how I storytell. Given my work is very abstract, it leans heavily into the story and the message behind the piece. So to be able to do that in a way that's new and exciting for me as an artist has been truly incredible.
0: Has this gotten to the point where this is your full-time thing now doing NFTs or kind of where are you at with the business?
1: So I would say it's a combination. So I love doing client work, especially just because it allows me to work with other people instead of just me in my own head. But I would say that it's really opened up kind of bridging both worlds where there are platforms and brands that are being built within the web three space that reach out to artists to commission us for, you know, backgrounds to their NFT, or if they want us to, you know, release a collection with them that's specific to an idea that we come up together. It's been really nice to kind of have those two like client corporate work and then selling my work as NFTs be bridged. So I would say it's about 50 50 where I drop my own work. And then I also still do um, work with clients.
0: First of all, thank you so much for sharing your story. We're going to kind of expand into a bunch of fascinating questions that I've got for you. But first, there are probably creatives listening right now, and some of them are artists. Some of them are photographers. Some of them might be writers or video creators or musicians. What do you want to say to creatives? Why should they consider launching NFTs? Because I'm sure plenty of them are very skeptical. They're not sure... This is something they should do and maybe they're curious and listening right now. What do you want to say to them as far as the, the value proposition of potentially pursuing something like this?
1: I would always say trust your instincts. I think that's the first thing. Don't do something that you're incredibly uncomfortable with. It took me you know, that few month period to really learn about NFTs and how it made sense for me in my practice. But beyond that, I think it's just a really exciting way to reach new people that may connect with and or enjoy your work. I think that's been the best part for me is to be able to befriend so many new collectors who appreciate and love my work and then we're able to discuss my work and the meaning behind it. And it just, it helps me grow as an artist as a person. So I would say the connection with other
0: people has been the best part. Is it too late for artists to get, and creatives to get involved or do you feel like it's actually pretty early?
1: I would say it's still incredibly early. The fact that you know there's still some like technological hurdles to even sell NFTs shows how early it is. And it kind of reminds me of when I was younger and I would have to like plug in the internet to like chat with my friends on AIM after I just left left school and saw them. And then your mom wants to use the phone and you can't because you're on instant messenger. Yeah,
0: AOL instant messenger for those that don't know what AIM is, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of the clunkiness of that. And then now we have like five screens per person. You just easily use the internet and be on the phone and FaceTime and so I think we're at the plugging in to chat with your friends phase of NFTs. So I'm really excited to see over the next, you know, 10-20 years how much more efficient and easy it's going to be for people to be able to sell their artwork or build brands or create communities using this technology.
0: So let's talk about standalone art and let's talk about generative art because and probably maybe even whether you should have multiples, you know, of standalones. But let's talk a little bit about just so Creatives can kind of understand the pros and cons to a generative PFP, for example, or any other kind of generative NFT versus doing standalone art. What's your kind of thoughts on the pros and cons and considerations for each of these?
1: Yeah, I would say I do predominantly standalone art. I've collaborated with one generative artist, Melissa Wiederick, on generative collection on the Tez blockchain, which was really exciting. So this is from my perspective as a standalone artist. The pros of doing your own artwork, whether additions or unique pieces or unique pieces that ladder up to a similar theme, it allows you to create work how you've normally created work. You don't have to adjust your process to a specific storyline if you don't want to. You could release work when it feels best to you. It parallels really selling your work as fine art in the physical world. Doing generative work, I don't know how to code. So, I'd say there are a lot of artists out there that are generative artists. The beauty of this is you can easily create a collection of your work and have it sell as a small collection of fine art as well, if that's what you like to do. It's nice to also collaborate with people that can code to create generative projects. Again, I would say that for a generative art collection, I prefer ones that have a story behind it. I feel like those that collect really resonate with that. And then the third one that you mentioned generative, like profile picture projects. I have a few friends that are artists that have those. And I think that when a lot of them first started to come out in like 2020, 2021, it was just for the joy of collecting a digital collectible and being able to use it as your profile picture. And since it's really evolved into a lot of pressure of trying to grow the value of that collection, whether it's 5,000 or 10,000 and kind of creating a business retroactively, it's like you sold the product and now you're making a business from it. And so I've seen a lot of folks struggle with that and the pressure of those that, you know, felt like they were investing into that digital object to see it grow exponentially. So as an artist, I personally probably stray away from the idea of building a business based off of a visual asset class or a PFP um, just because... I've seen a lot of folks struggle with it because it's not usually how businesses are run. Usually you build a business, you have an idea, you have an ethos that if that ethos includes a product, then you start to sell that product. Whereas I've seen in NFTs, a little bit of the inverse happen where it's like, we have this, we want to do a profile pictures to help, you know, women feel like they can use and represent themselves within this space. And then beyond that, now they're trying to retroactively build a company from that. So as an independent artist, I prefer to just keep it as straightforward as possible.
0: Yeah. And I I mean, first of all, what I'm hearing you say is with the generative stuff, generally speaking, it sounds like you have to kind of hire a developer because it gets more complex, right? And my understanding of generative art is that it's different every time you mint it, right? I mean, and sometimes it's random, right? Like you have to, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but my understanding of it is that basically every time someone mints it, the chances of them having various traits or various features or whatever is somehow algorithmically determined by a smart contract. Is that your understanding of what that means as well?
1: So there are two kind of paths for generative. I think that there's the one where it's fully coded. So art blocks is a great example of generative art where the artist has, the art is p- made from the code.
0: Like squiggles and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Like squiggles, like, um, Jen Stark did a generative art collection. And that's a great example of someone writes a bunch of code, and then as they mint, the code creates the artwork. The second one, which you see more commonly with profile picture projects is an artist or multiple artists will make two, three, 400 assets, layer them all in a Photoshop file, and then a developer will then use code to kind of randomize. So I think one's generative and one's randomized. But the idea is exactly what you said, that you don't know what you're getting until after you hit it.
0: Yeah. I know in the case of profile pictures, I've heard, like I have a bunch of moonbirds and Kevin Rose and others have said, Hey, you know, we look at all, we kind of know what all 10,000 are going to look like before anybody mints them because we want to make sure we don't have accidentally things that shouldn't be together that just don't work together. Presumably, right? Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Like you said, ish, yeah. Let's talk about the idea of of one-of-ones and additions and kind of explain that to people that don't know exactly what that means. Let's define what they are and then let's maybe go into a little bit of like what we need to be thinking about if we're going to do additions versus one-of-ones.
1: So the term one-of-one, for those that are listening that have a printmaking background, well, Pop would be very confused when I first hearing people like, "Oh, I'm a one of one artist." I was like, "You do mono prints?" I'm confused. So, one of one is usually term pre NFT that was used to do a mono print. You have something that you put on a surface and then you print it, and it's one print, and that's it. It's one of one. But in the NFT space, because that is inclusive of digital artworks and photography it's kind of morphed into this idea of a unique piece. And it's just like that is the one piece that exists as an NFT and that is it. And then for editions, it's very similar to that of screen printing or like woodcut editions where it's a number of another number. So it could be two of 30 or five of 75, where there's a set that is total, they're all identical. And then you have a specific number within that set. So The same thing happens on the blockchain. You can mint on different types of contracts to have different variables. Some people have an addition where you only have the full collection set and no individual numbers. And then you can have one where each single one has an individual number out of the collection set. So it gives you a little bit more flexibility with how you want to addition and make your work more or less accessible, which is really nice. But it very similarly parallels how folks do it with imprint making.
0: Have you done both? Yes. And what's the pros and cons uh, from your perspective?
1: I have done less one-of-ones or unique pieces just because my goal within my practice is to have art be accessible as possible. I feel that art brings so much joy and excitement and question and wonder to people that if it can be more accessible, I'm all about it. And so creating additions allows for that accessibility. So I've leaned more towards doing additions, especially as the whole economy is kind of in a bear market right now and folks are trying to be more mindful of how they're spending and where they're spending their money I really like the idea of having an addition because people all feel like they're a part of one piece and but then they can own their own individual asset from that without you know breaking the bank
0: how many are typically in an addition when you do it and some of the what's some of the quantities that you see people doing
1: so it'll depend on the artist and their caliber and things like that when I would do like, Print editions, it would be smaller just because the expense of screen printing is rough. Every color is a different screen, and you know I use every color known to man in my work. So, um, but with NFTs in particular, it will range. I have some editions that are 30, some that are 50. I did a timed edition, which is exciting. I've seen this happen more in the NFT space, and is now rubbing off into the physical space where, however many people purchase something within a certain time frame, that's what sets the edition number that's been nice. Oh, yeah.
0: Okay. So, so just out of curiosity on that, how long typically are you timing? And I would imagine you've got to have a little bit of a marketing engine behind you to kind of get the word out about that too, right?
1: Yeah. So for the, I did one timed edition. I have one on um, January 12th as well. Um, The one that I did a few months ago, I did for seven minutes Oh, wow! and I did 0.07 ETH. I wanted it to be really accessible And I missed the math on that one. So usually my editions of 50 would take about an hour to sell and maybe a little more expensive than the 0.07. So I was like, you know, like it's going to be between anywhere between 50 and 100, I figured, and 400 of them minted in seven minutes.
0: Wow. So wait, how did you you feel about that? Because that's a big win financially for you, right? I was confused.
1: (laughs) I think confusion was the first thing. I was like, oh, wow, this is exciting. So for the next one, That I'm doing, I like to thematically tie how I sell my work to people. So the piece that I sold that 400 of them sold was called The Serene. And it's about the idea of growth and growing into yourself and becoming yourself and, you know, opening yourself up to others. So I wanted this piece to be as accessible as possible. The next one I'm minting is And there are two of them. So you mint one and then the next day you could burn four of the first one for the second one. And both of those are actually made in tandem with each other. So they're kind of tethered thematically.
0: Let's pause and talk about that as well. So, yeah, um, But before we go to that, on the timed edition, people are going to ask, how the heck do you, how do you stop it? Yeah, how do you stop that? You know what I mean?
1: If you were to do a timed edition, that's not NFTs. You know, it's pretty easy to set up. You know, you just put up a web page and take it down. But if you wanted to do it with NFTs, there's a platform called Manifold, which is free for artists to use individually. I believe their business model is, you know, big companies will hire them to create contracts for larger drops. And then their learnings from that, they provide for free as kind of like a public service to artists and creators to use themselves. So they have a, a plugin that's called a claim page. Where essentially, you could set all of your rules, the price, the timing, when it's happening, for how long, and it automatically opens and shuts at that time. So it's pretty nice. <laughs> I'm very thankful for them because I could not have done that on my own.
0: Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about them in a minute. So I like the idea of a timed edition from a marketing perspective because it's kind of like if you're there, you're there. And if you're not, you're not, right? And seven minutes is not a lot of time. Obviously, people were lined up ready to buy this on the second idea that you're working on, which is the idea that you're essentially like expand on this idea of the burning of the token for the other art and explain how that works so people can understand that.
1: Yeah. So when you burn an NFT, you're essentially getting rid of it. But Manifold has come up with a really interesting plugin again, where if you have one specific type of NFT, you could burn X number of them for a different type of NFT. And some people will do this more as marketing. A lot of artists have done it in the last few months, and it's been exciting to see. I, A, like to experiment with everything just because I think, you know, you only live once and you may as well experiment. Um, But for this in particular, I had two pieces that are very similar. Um, and were made within a very similar time frame, So I like the idea that collecting three and then burning for the other one allowed for those to be tied together.
0: Did you have to burn all three or did you just have to burn one of the three?
1: You burn all three. So for this one, I have a mint cap set at four. So in theory, if you wanted to keep the first one and then burn the second three, you would then have both pieces. Some folks might just mint one and they just want to hold on to the first one. And that's great. So it'll be a fun experiment to see how it turns out. It might go well. It might be something where I have to adjust for next time. But I really love that there are all these like technological capabilities for artists to be able to, you know, storytell and sell their work in new ways.
0: Well, and we have had Manny Coates, who's the founder of the Bulls and Apes Project on this. uh, And they allow you to earn tokens that can be essentially traded in for NFTs. Oh, wow! Uh, They call them teen bulls. And then you can burn X number of, if you have 14 bolts from these various guilds and you have these other NFTs, you can burn all of them and get this really valuable NFT. And that's the only way to get it. So the idea is that you got to work your way to it. You have to generate the NFTs, the other NFTs, and then you have to burn them. I would imagine in your case, this is where it gets interesting from a psychological perspective. The original collection might be worth more money if everybody burns the NFT and there's hardly any of them left. Than the other NFT, it's kind of a fascinating, I don't know, game mechanics, isn't it?
1: It is, and that's what I'm curious to see how it turns out. So for this one, I'm leaving the burning mechanism open indefinitely. It's my first one, so if I don't know, hundred years down the road, you're like, oh, and you buy three or four, the first one keep one, and then you want to burn the other three, you can. So it, I'm curious to see how it all turn out and which one ends up being, you know, the larger edition of the two.
0: In the, in the case of the first one, was it also a timed edition or was there a limited quantity? How did you do the original four that you could mint?
1: So the original four are same thing timed, seven minutes for 0.07.
0: Did that happen already or is that about to happen? Not yet. Okay. No, yeah. And you're going to do it for seven minutes? Yeah. I so would've...
1: that worked out well. I think eventually I want to do a collection that um, I have a collection coming out with Coinbase in February. We haven't really nailed down the mechanics, but... I would want to do one that's open for longer, and then take um, a portion of those profits and then donate them somewhere. So that's another nice thing about timed editions is, if you have other like ideas for like how accessible or how long you want them open for, and then you can easily take you know part of those profits and donate them. It could really be really fun to storytell in that way as well. So it always gets me thinking about how I can sell my work and things like that.
0: Just out of curiosity, the art that you're placing into the contract. Is it high-resolution art? You know, I'm sure a lot of the designers are curious about how big this image is that you're putting onto the chain, if you will, or that's part of this.
1: So, I mean, most places that you would go to to Mint allow you to upload pretty high-res files. I've seen some file limits for things like video, which I can't speak to because I have yet to Mint anything that's video or animated. But all the ones I upload are just the high-res files. The majority of my works are painted, so I high-res scan them in at 600 DPI and And that tends to be the file size that people can download, which some artists are a little hesitant about. They're like, oh, can somebody steal it? And it's a guess, but usually people are pretty good natured. They're only going to download it if they purchase the NFT and then they're going to hang it in their home. If they're going to steal it to use it for commercial use, and then you could go after them like you would anyone else outside of the blockchain.
0: Let's talk about this service called Manifold. Manifold Manifold.xyz is where everybody can go there. Kind of explain what it is and how it works a little bit more because it sounds like it's kind of the big unlock for a lot of artists and anybody probably who wants to launch an NFT, right? Can you explain a little bit more about how it works?
1: Yeah, so Manifold, I discovered through Twitter, a lot of artists were like, oh my goodness, finally a place where we could mint everything and it's seamless and we own our own contract because back when I first started selling my work as NFTs, it was on a shared contract on
0: OpenSea. So
1: you don't own the contract. Yeah,
0: explain that a little bit because a lot of people might just be, because OpenSea is like, as of now, it's the main place where everybody goes to buy NFTs. There's others like Blur.xyz looks rare, but what's the downside to using the contracts that are on OpenSea just so everybody understands that?
1: Yeah, so any type of shared contract, I believe SuperRare had one at one point as well and Foundation is, You don't have control over that contract. So, if you wanted to mint an NFT that changes over time, that becomes a lot more difficult when you don't own the contract. Also, you can't, you just don't know 100% what's in it. And over the last two years, a lot of artists, we've learned that owning your contract is just for the better. It gives you a lot more control. It allows you to be more specific with how you're storytelling and sharing and selling your work. So, Manifold was one of the first places that allowed artists the ability to create our own contract in a really user-friendly way. I think they knew their audience. (laughs) Um, They have incredible like YouTube-style video tutorials on how to mint your own contract, on how to mint an NFT to that contract, the different types of contracts you can mint. And it's really seamless. I remember it was I don't know, like a year and a half ago now, maybe a little less, a year ago when I was like, you know what? I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to learn how to do this. And I thought that it would take me a few days and like in two hours, I had a contract minted and an addition. So it really makes it easy for artists to use and it's free other than the transaction fees to mint the contract into the NFT, which over time have gotten more affordable. It's just been, it's an incredible resource.
0: Let's talk a little bit about royalties and how all that works. Does Manifold help you assign that or do you have to go claim your collection on the various platforms and and, and set up your royalties and, and any tips on royalties in general?
1: Yeah. So as time has gone on, it's changed a little bit. Before recently, you would have to go on to every single platform and write in the royalties, even if it was baked into your like set on your manifold contract. Um, just because royalties aren't written on the contract level, you're putting them in a specific area, some platforms will listen to what you're writing, you know, for your royalties, but some won't pull that data. So you have to go in and override yourself. And up until early January
0: 2023. Yeah. 2023 for people listening.
1: Yeah. up Until 2023, that's how you would have to do it. And it can get frustrating because sometimes it takes 24 hours to hit and then you're losing out on royalties if anything sells within that time period. But And that's just kind of the, I've chalked it up as that's the cost to be in this space and the upside has been so much better. Recently, though, OpenSea has a royalty protection registry where they will only enforce royalties on contracts that have a royalty enforcer. So for the sake of independent artists who use Manifold, uh, Manifold has a plugin now that you can allow or disallow your work to be sold on different platforms. Once that's set up, then your royalties will be protected. And it's definitely not a long-term solution. Again, I think we're in that dial-up phase where your mom yells at you while you're chatting with your friends on AOL. I think this is very reflective of that time where we're all trying to figure out how royalties could be honored, but also the nuances of royalties changing over time, royalties not changing, things like that. I think that this is a first step in protecting royalties while we're leaving ourselves open to innovate and grow for the future and how that could be more seamless.
0: Yeah. And I think it's probably important for people to understand that if you accept this OpenSea NFT thing in your collection, it's forever. There is no undoing it is my understanding. And the way I've heard it explained is the benefit of using OpenSea's concept is it bakes it somehow into the contract that it cannot be sold on a platform that does not honor royalties by default there's kind of a list that OpenSea maintains, right? And then if you're on the list or off the list, it just prevents the NFT for actually being sold on that. Is that your understanding? Am I accurate in this?
1: Same, that's my understanding as well. I, uh, it took me a while to uh, fully wrap my head around it. And I think it's something that's still, you know, as an artist and not a programmer, still slightly above my brain grade, I like to call it. But <laughs> um, that is essentially what it is, its simplest form it's nice because it doesn't, you know, spiral to the bottom where all platforms are just going to get rid of royalties. But again, I think over time, there'll be more seamless ways to ensure that artists that want royalties will receive royalties from their work.
0: I think that for those that don't understand how royalties work, royalties are paid when you sell the NFT, right? Isn't that how it works? So whoever is buying the NFT, if they buy one of your NFTs for to ethereum let's say a portion of that goes back to you as the artist a portion of that may go to the platform that is actually selling the nft like opensea and then whatever's left goes to the person that's selling your nft is that is that accurate am i describing that correctly
1: yeah that's correct and then as you know the royalty debate you know ebbs and flows but most recently um some folks have even suggested that the person purchasing the nft should be the one that Covers the royalty versus the person selling it, which is also interesting. Um, I'd be curious to A/B test. That's
0: like a transaction fee, like yeah. That's like when you buy an airline ticket and then you have to pay extra to have your luggage.
1: Yeah, kind <laughs> of. So that's an interesting... I would like to see that A/B tested. I think you know the NFT space moves so fast that we don't really <laughs> test too much before we do things. So over time, I think it'll become a lot more seamless. But for now, the OpenSea royalty enforcement has definitely encouraged a lot of other platforms to default to honoring royalties again. Another part of that conversation is also the, you know, social construct aspect. And obviously if you want to circumvent royalties, even with all that, you still very much can.
0: Sure. I could send you an NFT and you could send me Ethereum, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. It's a little bit more of like trusting each other, but obviously if you know each other, you can do that. So I think it's more having a conversation as well of just saying that, you know, artists usually historically, within society are not valued until after we've passed. And I think that if we want a world that's full of culture and art, whether that's visual art or music or other types of art, it behooves us to support those artists while we're still alive. And I think royalties are very much a part of that. So just having that conversation, just like, instead of, you know, being, Attractive, the space of art, you know, trying to provide back to those that create the artwork is always a good thing for everybody.
0: Have you found that in your case, you have made more on royalties than you have on the original minting of the NFTs?
1: No, all of mine. And that's, I think, a reason I price my work the way I do. Obviously, I like, want my work to be accessible, but I don't rely on royalties just for that reason, knowing that it's very much a social construct right now, even though we're slowly starting to figure out ways to program it. I very much also encourage folks that want to collect my art to collect and hold on to it because they love it. Obviously, I don't control how people behave and why they're buying work and why they're selling my work. So the royalties always are a nice plus. The reason why I love royalties and when I first learned about this space and about royalties was for the long term. Obviously, if all goes well and my work does very well in you know three to five decades, then yes, I would like myself or my family to be able to be a part of that hard work that I put towards that. That's why I love royalties is because down the line, it allows you to kind of be a part of your own story and your own journey, but I don't rely on them in the short term. But it's really nice to see that, you know, creators that may rely on them more than I do have that additional supplemental income to continue to make their work.
0: How often are you releasing new projects? And then also on the royalty percentage, what's your general stance that stays as far as the percent of royalty that you're deciding when you launch these projects?
1: Collections will vary. If it's a larger collection, it usually takes me a while to create. Um, So I'll do like one or two larger collections a year. And then in between, I'll release editions every few months. It'll just kind of depend on the artwork itself, if I feel that work will resonate as an NFT and why and then when. So I try to keep that schedule just flexible as if I'm making my own work. I don't mint everything that I make. I think earlier on, artists felt this pressure to mint everything that we make.
0: I don't. Just so we're clear, so are you are you just kind of winging it, or do you have like ai am going to release once a quarter kind of strategy? Or I'm just curious what your thoughts are on this? How often you're actually coming out with new stuff?
1: Yeah. So, a, I kind of listen to the market and see like you know is artwork doing well right now? Are people you know wanting to collect artwork right now? So that's a big portion. But in terms of like a hard and fast cadence, I don't have that. Outside of doing like one medium to large size collection a year, beyond that additions will kind of be maybe one to two times a quarter, really just depending on the timing, my timing, my availability, You know, if I'm doing other projects with clients and things like that. So it's definitely not a set science um, and more of an art form, but it'll depend on the year, the demand, And then the type of work that I'm making.
0: When you say large collection, can you clarify what you mean by that?
1: Yeah. So for large for me, so I had in July and then December, two larger collections, people laugh and they say they're still small, but you know, for me doing all the work myself, it feels pretty large. July of 2022, I came out with a collection called Memories of a Masterpiece. Took me about six months to make them all. There are 999 pieces that were hand scanned into a scanner, leveraging different collage pieces. And so for me, that was my biggest collection ever. It still is. Yeah.
0: How were you pricing that by the way, just out of curiosity.
1: So that one, nine is my lucky number. I have a little nine. So I priced that one at 0.09 ETH and ETH at that time was like 13, 1500, I'd have to double check. So I like numbers are a big thing for me. So I try to, A, it's easier for people to remember there are 999 of them. 0.09. 0.09. It's just easier to remember. So that's what I did that collection at. And then December of 2022, I was MoonPay's artist in residence, and I had made a hundred pieces of digital art. Some were editions of 30, some were editions of 15, and some were unique pieces or one of ones. And then that full collection was 1500 NFTs. I don't see myself ever making a collection larger than that,
0: just because it's a lot. Of- what did you price those at? And
1: those were. I want to say 0.1. So I try to keep it more accessible in pricing. So anywhere between one to $200 USD, if I to translate, similar to what one would pay for an addition in the physical world. So I try to keep those pretty accessible. But as time goes on, <laughs> and I get older, I'm like, I don't know if I have the stamina to continue. So that's why I really love additions, because it's one artwork, in addition of a certain number, and it allows folks to you know be a part of a community that all speak to and resonate with that one artwork. And then the, the labor is a little bit less on me, you know, just managing how people are collecting that work, why they're collecting it, things like
0: that. What do you typically put in your royalty percentage at?
1: It depends. I've done 10% up until the collection with Moonpay, that I did 7.5%. Moonpay has 2.5%. So Reeves is 10% still. That's something I still want to explore and experiment with. As time goes on, uh, maybe having a sliding scale of royalties, but for right now the maximum is 10% that they allow on the Ethereum blockchain at least. I know Tezos could be a lot higher and that's a percentage that I feel comfortable with.
0: You mentioned you're doing something with Coinbase. If you wanna mention that real briefly and then also if people wanna see your art, they wanna see your collection, where would they go? And then also if they wanna connect with you on the socials, do you have a preferred platform for that?
1: Yeah. So you can find all my work on my website, ambervittoria.com. Now you'll find all my social media there, but it's all amber underscore Vittoria. I'm pretty responsive in all the DMs, I would say. But I'd say as of now, Instagram is a little bit more organized with their direct messages than Twitter is. Um, so I think the chances of me seeing it are higher on Instagram right now than on Twitter.
0: Yeah. And for those listening, Vittoria is V-I-T-T-O-R-I-A. Tell us about the Coinbase NFT also, and then if you have a website, also I'll share that as well.
1: Yeah, so I, on February 14th, Valentine's Day, I have a collection with Coinbase coming out. It's inspired, it's four pieces that will be additions, inspired by my most recent book, which is These Are My Big Girl Pants, that came out at the top of January in 2023. So it's just the idea of exploring and evolving into the next version of yourself as a person, and in my case, as an artist. So I'm excited for that collection. And uh, yeah, everything about me lives on ambervittoria.com.
0: Amber, thank you so much for being the first actual true artist, creator who I've had on the show, Thanks. Who's who's actually like unraveled how you're doing what you're doing. I think so many people in the future that are creators are going to be listening to this and like finding this super valuable. I just want to say thank you so much for sharing all of the experience that you've had with us.
1: Thank you for having me. This is awesome.
0: Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash W57. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. And would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Web3 Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may Web3 continue to change your world. The Web3 Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.
1: The information provided in the Web3 Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice.
0: Do your own research. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash Get updates.